Well, it's good to be back with you again. Am I coming in strong? A lot of technical difficulties at the baptism of baby Josephine. Turn in your Bibles if you're, uh, <clears throat> if you have them with you, or your pew Bibles, to Psalm 23. It's a familiar psalm, one we'll be studying today. Reading from the NIV. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Perhaps of all 150 songs, Psalm 23 is the most known, most favored, and enjoyed. As a hospice and hospital chaplain, I have said that psalm at the bedside numerous times, too numerous to mention. I am always surprised that even the most irreligious of folk know it by heart. It is a psalm that speaks to us in many different ways. But most of the time, it is often quoted at times of great difficulty, in fact, the most difficult, perhaps, for many people, and that is at an impending death of a loved one by the bedside. I remember one, <clears throat> one time we had a Roman Catholic priest who was in their hospice unit, um, and um, the first day he came in and he was surrounded by, by uh, people in his parish who knew him and also some, uh, some nuns. Sister Lydia, I will never forget her. And I read, went through the service uh, from the uh, Australian prayer book for healing and uh, at near death. And uh, I quoted, of course, Psalm 23. And as I walked out of the room, Sister Lydia reminded me, she says, you know that Psalm is not just for people who are dying. And I said, you're right. I said, but it's often used and mostly used for that. But if you take some time this week and really study the psalm, you will find that it transcends not all throughout the life of the believer. And that is what we want to look at briefly today. How the psalm looks and treats my life with God through Christ throughout my life, and not just at my last few hours on this earth. The psalmist refers to God, or Yahweh, which is the, the Hebrew term there. Yahweh is my shepherd. Now in Exodus 3, God had indicated to Moses that Yahweh was kind of like theological shorthand, if you will, for this, for I will be present is what I will be. That's probably the best way to look at it. An expanded paraphrase might be something like, 
I will be present with my people to be whatever they need me to be for them. Now, most of the English Bibles define the, use the divine uh, name as the Lord in small caps in your Bibles. And when they do, we know that that is the covenant name God of God, Yahweh, and that stands behind it. But it would be particularly interesting, it would be right if you said the Lord, and that, that, that reason is that the Lord is the title and not a name, and it conveys a more distant idea than intimacy. And that's not wrong or anything like that, it's just the way it is and how it's put in most translations. And here David calls God by his first name, in other words, Yahweh. And there's a familiarity there, a holy familiarity, but a familiarity nonetheless. He is my shepherd. And note that there's a tenacity involved there. Yahweh is my shepherd. It means that Yahweh and no one else is his shepherd. Now that's very important in David's day, especially since he was surrounded by countries that worshiped multiple gods, who also took on characteristics of shepherding their people. But David will have none of that. In the first line, it seems as though he plants his feet, if you will, sticks his chin out, puffs up his chest, and says, Yahweh alone is my shepherd. And then he says, I will never lack anything. In other words, God is sufficient for all that David needs. From the time he is born to the time he takes his last breath. Now, all this, of course, can be easily connected to the, in, in the New Testament to the Lord Jesus Christ. And certainly we know this if you go and study this week, John 10, alongside of Psalm 23. You see a lot of familiarities. For example, the shepherd has come in the flesh. I am the good shepherd, and I lay down my life for the sheep. So instead of looking at the Psalm 23 as something that we just quoted at the end of our lives, what about our daily lives? In the Psalm, we find that, that Jesus, the Good Shepherd, is competent for everything that we need in our daily lives. And so the stress in the verses is not so much on eating the grassy pastures or drinking the sweet water, but on stretching out in the grass when you are satisfied, peaceful surroundings of the quiet waters and renewing vitality of our souls and our bodies. He restores my life, says the psalmist. And the shepherd leads in paths of which he knows are right ones. And he does this all on account of his name. In other words, God has a reputation to uphold.
One writer says that he has this reputation to maintain and he must show he is all that a shepherd should be. He knows how to refresh, refresh his flock. He knows where to lead his sheep. Now there are, in David's time and still today, there were many dry, hot summers. And that would test the shepherd's ability sometimes to make sure that he can find pasture for the sheep. Or winter sometimes would be challenging. One writer who was a missionary and a, and a traveler said that when the snow covered the ground during a Lebanon winter, the shepherds would be up all day in the trees cutting down branches so the sheep had something to eat of the green leaves. And you see, all of this is the stuff that a shepherd is to do. We might, we might call it something like the bread and butter of the shepherd's work. And isn't that where most of you and I spend most of our time? I mean, when you really think of it, at the end of this coming week, write down all the ordinary things that you do. And you might surprise yourself to find that God is in the business of that. That the shepherd is in the business of sustaining you there in just the ordinary things. It's not that you won't have troubles, you won't have difficulties. Life is difficult in its own way. Just dealing with traffic is a problem sometimes. Dealing with people in, in the office. It's not easy. Especially if you work in a big office, you have multiple personalities, huge personalities, some of them. I simply go in and shut my door. I don't want anything to do with that office. But the Christian life, most of it, if you're, if you're at least in the, in the first world countries, the Christian life is, is not some sort of soap opera tension. There's a routine involved. And we might get run over. We might get run down. We suffer wear and tear. We sometimes even suffer spiritual exhaustion. Jesus Christ is the shepherd who is adequate, first of all, for the everyday, ordinary things in life. And the Christian must learn to walk with Christ here in the daily realm. And the question is, how do you learn to enjoy Christ's day-to-day -day competence in the ordinary things? Or maybe perhaps you think you're the one who does that. Our shepherd meets us in the ordinary times, in the commonplace and familiar scenes of life. We find his constant provision. And we love him because he does not just meet us at the critical times, but in the common times. We know he will work for us on Tuesday, and on that day after that, and that day after that, and yet there's nothing dramatic going on. Psalm 68, 19 captures it very nicely when he calls him the Lord who daily bears him up. And so it's the ordinary things that the shepherd is there for us. And then we play, we come to the place of Christ, you might say a clearer picture, a clearer presence. 
And that is the valley of the shadow of death. And that is sometimes where we're most uncomfortable but familiar with how the psalm is used. The shadow of death that is about deep darkness doesn't necessarily mean death. It could be, it could be just dark things that are going on in our lives. What one writer called, ancient writer called, the dark night of the soul. And you and I have all been through that in one way or the other. Well, what was that in David's day, the shepherd's day? Well, Israel was a land that had ravines and mountains and very rough places. And the bottom and, and the tops could be, be very treacherous to climb those areas and treacherous for the sheep. It could be where wild animals harbor and would come and attack, which would be the sheep's worst nightmare. And the shepherd, too, who could lose his life. So this valley and the shadow of death signals life-threatening or fear-generating ideas, situations in God's flock. And yet, verse 3 says, the shadow of death is also one of the paths of righteousness. And all of that, the psalmist has no fear of disaster. There's no floodgates out in the in the Lebanon Valley, in the Transjordan areas. So what made the psalmist so at ease and comfortable? It was the presence of the shepherd. You are with me, he says. And in verse 4, he changes tenses in the, in the, in the use of the verb. You, you are with me. And he changes it to the second person. Verses 1 and 3, 1 to 3, the, lead, the, the reader is about the shepherd. He's spoken to about the shepherd. In verse 4, he turns away and he speaks directly to the shepherd. This is a more intimate connection that might occur in the rest and refreshment of verses 2 and 3. It is though the, 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 the trouble in the valley drives him closer to the shepherd. Have you ever felt that? You're going along on your life and everything is smooth, everything is copacetic, and then all of a sudden something hits. And what do you do? You panic, and then you fall back and you rely on the shepherd. That's where you spend a lot of your time on your knees, it seems. Crying out to God, why is this happening? Why is it me? And all those theological questions come flooding in, don't they? And even in the danger, in the really rough times, the Lord unhurriedly sustains his, his servant. David says, my enemies are forced to witness my enjoyment without being able to disturb it, in other words. And so we come to the Lord's table. And sometimes it takes a different form, doesn't it? 
I remember when we first went into um, Iraq, a desert storm, there was a picture on one of the uh, magazines that I saw. There was a tank commander, and the story was is that he stopped his tanks after rolling into a town, and there was an old man there, an Iraqi man, and he sat down, and here in the midst of all this fighting and all this killing, and all the drama that went with that, it goes with that. He invited him to step down from his tank, the tank commander, and have tea with him. In the most difficult circumstances, that is the image here. The table can be a huge banquet, or it can just be something small and personal and comfortable. So it is the place of unstoppable provision. It is important also that we understand that the shepherd is, is not a weakling. Jesus Christ is not meek and mild. The shepherds themselves in biblical days and even after that have none of this peaceful and placid aspect that is associated with pastoral life and habits. They look like warriors. Again, one traveler in the 19th century was looking at them. He says, they look like warriors marching to the battlefield, a long gun slung from the shoulder, a dagger, pistols at the belt, a battle axe, or an iron-headed club in his hands. These were the equipments and the fierce flashing eyes and scowling countenance showed but too plainly that they were prepared to use their weapons at any moment to defend their flocks. Not only from animals, but from robbers, thieves, marauders, and yes, killers. Let us realize that Jesus Christ, our shepherd, is no emaciated weakling. Our shepherd is a warrior. And then we have the place of Christ's provision. When danger is near, David says, the Lord sustains his servant. My enemies are forced to witness that. The table, the table could be, as I said before, a very sumptuous feast or it could be something simple, but it sustains us nonetheless. Perhaps the Bible verses that you read, read tomorrow morning will sustain you all the way through the day and even through the week because it's really a bad week and things aren't going well. And the verses that you read on Monday keep coming back and coming back and coming back and you feed on those because that's what's laid out on the table for the week. Now, of course, you have to be reading, don't you? You have to be submersed in your scripture. That's why when I was going to, was, was in college, the emphasis in the university Christian fellowship was always to have a quiet time. 
We didn't care when you had a quiet time, morning, evening, even afternoon. But that you had a quiet time. And there you reflected and read your scripture and highlighted and wrote in your Bible. Yes, write in your Bible, it's okay. My grandmother's Bible didn't have any writing in it, although she did write, read it all the time. My mother's Bible, however, was underlined and written and even had highlights written to things. And so you won't know how to feed from the table of God if you're not in fellowship with him on a daily basis. Know your scripture. Young people, start in the beginning. Read the book of Genesis, at least 1 through 11. Study the great Psalms. Start with the Gospel of Mark. It'll take you a couple hours to get through. Highlight it, read it. And then begin to memorize it. Or you'll never enjoy the sustenance that's at the table. Now in verse 6a, six, in the beginning of verse 6, there's a picture. It's a conviction of faith. It says, only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. Is this naive? Is this like too high in the sky? Oh, you don't know my wife. You don't know my kids. You don't know my job, my boss. Pastor. David says, he's just written, David has, says that in verse six, and he just wrote verses four and five, being in the presence of the enemies. He's not ignoring or whitewashing anything. Only goodness and faithful love are with me all the days of my life. There's a certain chemistry and believing experience that can combine brute facts and buoyant faith, says one writer. When we were at the height of COVID, I was often called not, not only to the bedside of families who were dying, but I was called by nurse managers to come in and speak with some of the nurses and some of the doctors who were just overwhelmed with death. Day after day after day, they would gown up in the intensive care units. Desperately trying to help a person live and then failing at it, or at least they thought they were. One nurse looked at me and said, are you afraid to die? And I said, no, I am not. I said, I'm at that point, I said, I think I said this before, I said, I'm at that point in my life where I'm too old to be concerned about dying. In fact, I, there was a t-shirt, I think I said this one time, I saw a t-shirt that said, I'm old enough now to realize that the time that I would spend in life in prison isn't going to be that long. 
The Christian should be the most hopeful every single day. You should be the one who in your circle of non-Christian friends says, I am not afraid to die. It won't be easy, it won't be good, but I know where I'm going. And that's what David is saying. David is not saying that some that his life will just be one big happy dance. Because it wasn't. <coughs> King Saul was trying to kill him. Go back and read them, the passages, where he's stuck up in the mountains with his, his mighty men surrounding him. And so there's that perspective that we need to catch there in that verse 6. All the days of my life. Forever. Literally for the length of days. The New Jerusalem Bible says for all time to come. I actually like that better. For all time to come, he is with me. Whether that time is one week, one month, ten years. So you see, you can look back over the journey. The grassy pastures may be considered normal place, the valley of the shadow and fearful place in front of the enemies, the dangerous place. And the abiding place, of course, is the house of God, his presence. And Christ leads us in all. So now you must go back to the beginning. What position have you taken? <clears throat> Only if God, if Yahweh, Jesus, is your shepherd, can you say, I will never lack anything. In ordinary times, in fearful times, in dangerous times, or at the last time, Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that in all these things we find comfort in your everlasting presence. For you are with us in the ordinary. You are with us in the dangerous times. So, and may we grow as a church for the rest of the cross. Amen.